Uh, welcome to On and Off the Pitch. Today we are focused on the organisation We Make Footballers. I'm pleased to say that we have the Operations Director Eve McBrin and the founder Sean Conlon. How are you Eve? Really great, thank you. Really excited to be on the podcast today. Thank you. And how are you Sean? Yeah, very good. Thank you for having me Rodney. Good, good. I'm glad, I, I, as, you know, I didn't know much about your organisation. You know, I call myself a football lover and I feel ashamed. But I, I, I don't know. I do. I feel like I know quite a bit. Didn't know anything about it. So as much as this is a, a conversation stroke interview, I want it to be very fluid. I want us to just kind of go over a number of things. And for me, one of the, the kind of the questions that came to me at, at the beginning was, what, what was the desire for this? Apart from this organisation to come into fruition, or where did the desire come from you individually? And I want to ask, mm. I want to ask you, Sean, and then I'll come to you, Eve, as well, because I've, I looked a little bit at your background, but I want to know where the desire comes from, Sean. What, what have you got to say about that? Yeah, I was actually asked this question earlier in the week on an interview that I did, and I, I talked about the pain that I felt when England lost three-two to Croatia in mm. two thousand and seven. Yeah, and Steve McLaren is there with the umbrella. Oh. And it, yeah, we didn't get through to the 2008 Euros. It was a really, really, really painful experience for, for me. Um, who, who, yeah, I love my national team. Um, I felt at the time uh, grassroots football in England was at its worst. I was unhappy about so many things. I was learning about what goes on in Holland and what goes on in Spain and Germany. And I saw what this is such differences in the way that we were approaching our coaching in England so uh, I felt I felt that the FA weren't doing anything I didn't think anything was going to change so I just started saying to my friends that I'm going to just start changing things myself um, you know we, we've got to just do it you know and even if it takes us 50 years you know we'll, we'll crack on and and I think what's happened is that a lot of people in England have sort of there's been a real shift in culture in coaching at grassroots level and um, the, the influences of the internet social media being able to learn from other countries and having more access to education from abroad um, so many people are driven now to 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 find best practice and the better ways of coaching and this is this has resulted in what's going on in our national team now at youth level and even at the top level still way to go with our national team we're not where we need to be but we can all see that we're in the right direction so um yeah quite a long-winded answer but but yeah hopefully it kind of explains the, the passion that that sort of spurred on all, all the coaching um many years ago probably about 2007 that, that I formed the company well, you know what pain pain is a driving force mm -hmm. oh, I know that um Eve for yourself the passion where does it begin where does it come from yeah so um I played growing up and absolutely loved it and have so many you know amazing memories of, of you know going to see Chelsea uh, with the you know family etc and uh, I sort of got to a point where I stopped playing and I really really missed it I was still watching games I was still you know uh, following it being very involved in things um and I just sort of continued with life. Um, when I started my studies, um, which were in sociology, uh, I basically started back up again, um, started really enjoying it and started seeing actually the impact 
um, that it, that the game can have. I think then sort of pairing, being very involved, you know, those kind of uni phase of, of sort of literally like playing every single day, you know, it's all you do. And then, yeah, with that sociology background, for me, the passion, the driver is about seeing the impact it has on society uh, on a wider level um, and the impact that it has on people. Um, I think for me on a day-to-day -day basis now, how I work in the operations side of the business, you know, I, I'm working with uh, with our different franchise owners, with our head office team, with, you know, over 200 coaches. And it's, you know, it's seeing that sort of, um, that, uh, that domino effect of everything that we're doing. And, you know, it, you know if you think about it, if one coach is coaching 100 kids, 400 kids a year, that, that's, that was such a big impact. Um, so I think it's about us uh, being able to enact change um, you know, at every level, which is, which is you know, a, a real uh, driving factor. Yeah, I'm always intrigued when I listen to a player, a former player say, they played the game and I stopped. And I, I always want to know what it is that, that causes you to stop. And then you go into, because there, there has to be something quite definitive about that, that moment that you say, and I stopped. And I'm not thinking, well, why? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody does have their, their own, you know, personal stories. I mean, for me, you know, I sort of don't want to get like my violin out and be like, oh. I'll get your violin out, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, my, um, uh, I actually uh, spent my childhood in, in France where my mum runs a hotel business and it's the countryside. And, you know, it, you got to the age of 13 and you couldn't play with boys anymore. And uh, there were just no opportunities. And I suppose when you're asking about what, where's the passion and where's the drive, yeah, at that age, I didn't necessarily have the tools or the resource to continue. However, I suppose it kind of just sort of sat with me and it's kind of like a slow burn, just a slow burn um, that kind of just sat and there's the really positive memories from playing before that sat. And um, if anything, I would say they sort of like snowballed to, to where I am now. Um, so yeah, although I miss a few years, I'm come back with vengeance. You come back with a vengeance. And you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not to kind of make you go down the road of like painful memories. I just listening to you talk, and I know that you're, you know, working in this organization. And for a lot of football fans or fans of the female game, you know, we're crying for the great game to grow up. We're, we're crying for bigger attendance and access on TV. And then of, in the last few months, we've seen like the, the, the access to the Women's Champions League on YouTube. And when you say you played in France, I'm like thinking, well, there's some really decent teams in France in terms of European football. So it's 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 strange when I, I listen to you say at 13, there was you just couldn't play. And I'm like, wow, that from 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 a from a male point of view, that would just be so painful. So I, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna be able to actually understand what kind of feeling you had yourself, but I can imagine it it must be. But that the key thing that's brought you back to where you are right now, because you, you're thinking, well, I didn't have that then, but I'm going to make sure that there is something available for young people of, the, of a similar age now. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think in many ways, you know, when it comes down to the sport, you know, uh, whether, you know, whether you're a, a coach or, um, or a parent or whatever it might be, 
like fundamentally your job is to create a positive relationship between the player and the sport so that they have a lifetime uh, sorry a lifelong relationship with it and you know ideally in, in a playing and, and participation um sort of um way but it, it might be that they that they're then a fan in later life or that they attend you know uh local games in their community or they can be part of a discussion right which is which is absolutely huge you know if you think of the amount of you know just uh, sort of day-to-day small chat about football and the game and and um and how, how big a part of our lives it actually plays so i i think it i think if you create that positive relationship between the sport and the person they then have more connection points in their future and I think that's a really, really important thing to do. And then when you just answer, sorry, coming back to your point about, you know, uh, for, you know, for a lot of um, male uh, players, they sort of can't even imagine, you know, just like not being able to play or, or not being, you know, kind of being cut off. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, you've got to think that, yeah, there's that time where, you, you know, you don't have as many playing opportunities and you're not able to play anymore. But then, you know, some people they then become cut off as well later in life and that they can't then re-engage as an adult or as a parent or, you know, in in any other capacity. So we're losing so many people basically. And I think with, um, with, we make footballers, you know, we, we, um, it, it is about that positive connection to the sport. It is about showing kids that, they can, you know, we can, we can teach them any skill, you know, it doesn't matter if you haven't played before, like we're teaching a Maradona in your first class, like, <laughs> but this is the thing. And, and that's, I think, where our positivity takes us and that we just have that ability and that driving force to, to, um, to make it for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd probably add to that in terms of accessibility from personal experience, from a young player, from the age of, maybe five or six my parents didn't know very many people in London because they kind of just moved to the area so then at that time it wasn't like you could go on the internet and go and search for a football club it was like you had to know someone to then get in and then when they brought me I was definitely on the outside Um, and and then being like a smaller physically physical player um, you you weren't very effective to then go into a game so even though I felt I probably had good skills from playing a lot of park football and mm. um, I wasn't identified and then there wasn't the connections. So, so then I then didn't get opportunity. So later on, when I'm then responsible for this football school, I'm saying it's a meritocracy. Anyone who has the ability or future potential is going to have pathways as early as possible into professional environments, into academies. And that has resulted in us having over 300 players signed to academies. We've had players now playing in the Premier League. Michael Elise was bought by Patrick Vieira as his first signing for eight million pounds. Um, such a such a proud day. Um, like just so happy for the family and texting mm-hmm. them and speaking to them and and you know they're you know thanking God and just so blessed. Um, yeah, the, you know, the, and and all the other players that have come through where you've been able to affect these families and you're thinking to yourself if we didn't have our football school and you trusted other people to, to maybe identify these players and be proactive in putting them in front of scouts and the other stuff 
would they still have the opportunities? Would they be have you know playing the level of football they are playing now? And yeah, and it comes back to your point there. Um, there's kind of like personal experiences that then yeah do drive that. Yeah, I mean you know the point that you you added to Sean was really good, and I, I for me just from what you've said. It's, it's the driving forces may have come from different sections, but the, the aim is both the same. You want to not just make it more accessible, but you want to change the, the old ways because access is an issue, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's because you're in a different location and they say because of your gender and age, you can't play with boys or your physical attributes at a particular point in time, they say, well, you don't look the right kind of player. In terms of you know intelligence, and people always use football intelligence as kind of the be all and end all. Just general intelligence is that you know that growth and learning and education aren't equal at any point in time. There's it's in stages. So we make footballers, from what I'm hearing, you say, is about not just the here and now, but the journey that the young person takes from one point to another, so that they can gain all of those experiences and have the accessibility to, to the football game that we, you know, that we say that we love and we say is a changing force. But sometimes, just listening to what you both said, it's like, if you didn't have the access, if you, if you weren't fortunate enough to know someone, you weren't going to play the game. And I, it kind of just goes against everything that you hear, kind of banded around so much about football is a great game for changing the world and making it a better place. But you need to know someone first. Mm. And and you still see it now today. I've got so much, so many grassroots environments that the parent will pluck up the courage to contact the grassroots club and say, "Can I bring my child to you?" And mm. and I, and I don't want to say that this goes on everywhere, but let's say that 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 they finally do get a response from people. It's all volunteer run. You know, we're not getting government support to fund these grassroots clubs. Mm. But let's say that. The, the volunteer administrator reaches out to that parent who's re, who's got in contact through the website. Then they've taken their child down to the training environment. Maybe that parent coach that loves their Sunday team, loves winning. They've got their happy group of seven players that they're really happy with. And that player is, is not capable. They don't think that that player is going to add to their group. So almost immediately they, they're discarded. And then... The, the, you know where do they go from there um some some places might say oh you've we've got another team for you to go to and, and then they sort of find their way but it, it's hard and that we make footballers we've worked really really hard to make sure that we're as accessible as possible parents can easily find us online they, they you know it's a, it's a great customer service and how they're introduced um through, through getting in contact and then as soon as they come down to the session it's then how are we welcoming that child? How are we making them feel at ease? How are we as quickly as possible making them fall in love with the game? And then we believe that if the child loves the game, then they're going to practice more. And then if they get more good practice hours, they're going to become a better player and, and, and so on. It's, it sounds foolproof. <laughs> it, just, it sounds like, yeah, that that's actually does just make sense. It's so simple, but, you know, both you know and I know that isn't always the case. Um, I want to ask you particularly about the actual creation of We, we Make For. What did, what did it take for you to do? What did you have to do to bring it into, you know, into its in the form that it is now? 
okay, well, yeah, I, I could probably answer this. Um, it was, I was, I was volunteer coaching at my local grassroots club, club at the age of 15. And there was a soccer school already there. They were probably the biggest soccer school in London at the time. It was run by a Chelsea scout. And I volunteered there for probably about seven years. Mm. Um, pro pro probably got a little bit of money eventually, um, but it was, yeah, all, all voluntary while I was at university. And then this person had a kind of disagreement with the grounds where the club was based. He took out 35 teams. And so then the club said to me, would I start it up again would I start up a soccer school so I did with the two children um, I was currently working at that time because I got a job with Chelsea Academy at the age of 17 so I'd been with Chelsea for a while mm. and so I got a little bit of support from them they gave me some equipment to get started and obviously I'd learned how to coach from those guys and obviously my experience at grassroots and so got got two children from the local area the next next week got two got kept doubling in size yeah and then it then just scaled from there we started having footballers come to sessions like Jamie Redknapp, Flora Maluda, Nicholas Anelka um, started to become very popular and and yeah and it just it just went from there. That is amazing that, that really is amazing I, 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 you know seven years doing voluntary work. <laughs> it's the passion you know I, I, want, I wanted to be a footballer myself I didn't get to do it but coaching was kind of yeah, yeah, how I could use my passion in a different way. And, and yeah, we're now, we're now really fortunate that we've got 5,000 children and, and 28 franchises and we're exploring taking it to other countries. And yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all ex ex scaling, which is really exciting. Right, so you, you talk about the number of young people that you have um, attached to the, the organization and the franchises. Explain, how does that work? What, what do you need to be a franchise? Okay, so I'll start on this one and then um, Sean, you can, you can add. Um, so uh, we started franchising, uh, I believe it was 2016. Um, so basically all it is is an individual, you know, they, they, they want to start their own football coaching um, business or soccer school, um, but they're not quite sure where to start. They might start their own independent one, but how do they build a website? How do they, you know, um, how do they market to, to people in the area? How do they run a social media page? Um, they're not sure how they're going to manage the, the bookings. All those kind of big, big questions because there's a lot. There is a, there's a lot that goes into, you know, uh, into yeah, running running a, um, a football coaching business. So. Um, so what they would do is they would approach us and they would say, okay, well, um, I, I love, I love the, the sessions that you do. I love the way that you coach. I agree with how you're coaching players. I agree with, you know, your passion and your values behind everything that you do. And I think that you guys um, will give me the necessary support to be as successful as possible in my area and create the biggest impact possible in my area. So yeah, that's where we come in. So uh, they would then operate a, uh, a football coaching business in an area of their choice under the name of We Make Footballers. So it might be We Make Footballers Barnet or We Make Footballers uh, Richmond. So yeah, it could be anything in, in, in the UK. Um, so then they then set up in their local community. They build links with schools where they will hire the facilities, uh, they'll deliver training, they'll build links with local grassroots clubs where 
after they start to really build like a really nice community and um, group of players every year they'll produce a under seven side for that grassroots club so then we're also keeping that link into the community and um and yeah creating that positive impact um for the local grassroots clubs as well um and then that you know that that has that kind of domino effect of that and 17 then goes up and then the next year we're producing another one and um yeah so that's sort of um the model um and i think the the thing that we've seen is that uh with with a with a franchise and with a football coaching franchise obviously anyone who works in well uh, we hope and anyone who works with us in football is so so passionate and absolutely loves what they're doing um but with a franchise, we 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 we're very much about consistency, and you know, Sean spoke about customer service, and you know, really really prioritizing the, the players, prioritizing the parents and the experience of football. Because nowadays, the experience that you have with football is not just when you're there at a session; it is what is your online engagement with football. You know, um, what's your how do you find your club? How do you how do you sign up? All those kind of like little admin tasks. So how do we make that as easy as possible and also as slick as possible? So I think that's that's very much our approach um, with 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 franchising, and I think it's how we've managed to leverage, you know, um, our, our software, our you know uh, marketing expertise um, and tech expertise uh, to to sort of move into the space that we are now. Um, so yeah, the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's great. Sorry, Sean, go on. No, no, no. I was just going to say that when someone becomes a football coach, because, like I said earlier, it's not state-funded in England. Mm. It's not like the FA have got a job for for a local coach in Richmond and say, right, you're now the grassroots coach for this region. It doesn't work like that. People have to go out and essentially become self-employed. And then now, like, you know, they might be brilliant as coaches, but they don't know how to market their business. They, they don't know how to drive, use SEO, build a website, have a business plan, manage their taxes, like all this stuff that needs to be done. So what we've found is that for us to have these ambitions of you know, helping England win a World Cup, we can't do that without helping local coaches have business models to ensure they're earning enough from football to have a full, because there's not enough full-time jobs. So, yeah. so then we, we can kind of like create these full-time jobs for people so that then they can earn enough to continue to coach through, through the adulthood. Because most coaches give up when they're 22, 23, because it's kind of pocket money to them. They, they have to get real jobs eventually. I, I think it's that. And just to add to Sean's point, you know, there, there are so many hardworking coaches out there who... You know, they, you know, you mentioned this, this kind of subcontractor element where, you know, they'll be delivering one session in one location in the morning. Then they've got to travel to maybe like an after school club and then they've got to travel to another location in the evening. And they're literally just like, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like pinballing around left, right and yeah. center, you know, working with all these different, you know, clubs and, and picking up, you know, small paychecks in different locations. And, and um and you know, from, from our experience in talking to to a lot of coaches, it's a it's a it's a very difficult um, workload, and you know, uh, and you know, and it's not necessarily a a skill set that is you know rewarded to the level 
of the impact that it has socially and on the actual mm. players. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was, you know, from what you both said, again, it's all about the hard work and the dedication of volunteers, but isn't there, is there a little bit of kind of resentment that the FA, in terms of what you're delivering, that they're not being a little bit more helpful? I mean, that's, that's just something I'm kind of thinking about right now. Um, I, I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, and, I, and I don't necessarily blame the FA. They, they can only do, you know, they can only work with the funding that they're given from the government. Right. So probably there is some some resentment that's there at top level, at government level. Yeah, I don't think they give enough um, support to their local communities. I don't think they give enough support to to the FA to sport. Yeah, I've, I have probably got a lot of resentment to the yeah there, but yeah. I've I've kind of made peace with that. I know that's not going to change for a long, long, long time. So. We, we accept it, we, we accept the structure that we're working in, and we still try and work around it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing. And, and, you know, from what you said, going from where you are to, how many franchises were it? It's like 26 now, Eve, I think. Yeah, I mean, okay. do, do you ever pause and go, we've, we've bitten off a bit too much here? No, you, you can never. I, I spent some time with um, the Chelsea Chief Scout last week um who's a, a really like you know good mentor to me and he's he's he brings his daughter to meet footballers and he kind of like talked about this question because I said that to him he was telling me about his journey in it from from the age of sort of 27 where he just started getting into football to then becoming the chief scout at Chelsea and and I said to him that's such an incredible journey like what you've done mm. and, he, and he said well I never stop because what why I love Chelsea is because Chelsea don't stop we win tournaments we win things and we're like what's next what's next and that mentality probably has rubbed off on on me and then the people that have come into the organization like Eve and our franchisees they're all of a similar mindset we're always just like grow 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 let's be better let's keep improving let's we don't stop and I think that that pass it on culture is definitely something that that we're very careful to to sort of like foster and bring in the people that will then you know the you know fundamentally yeah we can have you know a, a very a, a, you know a, um a head office team that that is you know that has that drive and that mindset and what's next and you know keeps on pushing mm. franchise owners do that but if our franchise owners um aren't able to then get our coaches to then you know uh, sort of embody um uh, those like, feelings and that and that attitude, then yeah, then then it stops at that level. So it's really really important that everything feeds through because then when it feeds through to the coaches, that then feeds through to the players as well. And the players are like, what's next? Oh, I'm I'm you know winning three nil. Oh, I want to get another goal or like, one step over. Can I do two? Like it's that same mindset. We always 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 are looking to challenge every single person at every level within the organization. And I think as well, it then leads us to then challenge, um, you know, uh, challenge ourselves to yeah, improve and to always yeah, continually improve what we're doing, our coaching, and to question ourselves, which is very, very important if we're going to continue this level of growth and move forward into the future. Wow. Yeah, I, 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 sorry, I, I, would, I would just probably like add to Eve's point there again, because like, I love the parallel you just said there, Eve. 
and and I'm thinking about like uh, we we have a podcast ourselves, Rodney. Ray, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's called the uh, Project Footballer Podcast. Right. And and um, the, what we try and do on the podcast is we discover is there a formula to developing a footballer? Can you guarantee from literally you know you 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 have a child and then from from age zero can you turn them into a footballer and um that sounds like we, scientific work there sure <laughs> well yeah i mean we, we don't think there is a formula um but in the process of having the conversation with footballers uh, like we you know we like the other week we had um reese james's father um uh, reese james and lauren james um he's obviously um had you know he's got two children that have made it to the top level yeah. um one child that got very very close to making it didn't make it he's got great story to tell uh, we we had Paul Merson um recently on the podcast um who's got a seven-year-old child that's currently in academy football um but yeah it's, it's 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 kind of this kind of thing but you know what when, when we speak to the footballers and these these people who are telling the stories of their children of, of the footballers how they made it and the people who tell, talk about their children making it through academy football one of the big things that they talk about all the time is the hunger and desire all the time you know um and and that rubs off on us uh like like you've you've got to have it if you're going to be successful at anything that drive is so key yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the podcast. I was working around to it, Sean. You have to. I was getting there. I was getting there. Um, now that you've mentioned it, can you? Uh, where can we find the podcast? What platforms? So YouTube and Spotify. And um, yeah, if you search the Project Footballer podcast, you'll you'll find us. Yeah, and and it's and, and it's hosted by yourself and E. Um. Actually, not Eve. Um, one of our other franchise owners, uh, um, who, who's a scout with Tottenham, um, who's who's a close friend. He's he's one of the first franchise owners that we brought on board, and yeah, a, a, very, a top player, brilliant coach. Uh, yeah, so so me and him do it. Okay, yeah. So I've got to ask Eve, when's your podcast coming out, Eve? It's only fair. Oh, you know, I'm just too busy, you know, making mm-hmm. <laughs> footballers one of the biggest organisations out there. So, you know. Okay. But... She's a very humble response, I must say. Um, <laughs> right. Going back to the points that you were both making about in terms of the growth and the franchise and everything else and about the, the desire to do better and what next. My question is, what next? Where, where do you see, you know, we make footballers in five years time? It is going to be in other countries. So um, when you're franchising, like let's look at Nando's or McDonald's, you know, some of the most successful franchises out there, um, they've got such consistency. um, Like like whether you agree or disagree with the products that that they're selling, um, you can go to a McDonald's anywhere in the world and it's going to be the same service and the same burger. Now we are working so hard to get that consistency at our sessions. And it's something that is very difficult to do with football. There's, there's a lot that we've had to adjust and change um, and work on to solve problems, to ensure that at scale, we can deliver a great product to child and parent. Now we, we are the number one reviewed company on Trustpilot for football coaching. 
We've got a 4.9 out of five star rating with nearly 400 reviews. We, we are doing it, we, we, we're growing, but we're keeping the quality. And we're now almost getting this football product, this football magic in a bottle. And the conversations that we've been having with an ex-footballer in America that wants to take what we're doing here and bring it over. And, and yeah, we probably are benefiting off the back of the Premier League growth being the best league in the world and the English national team doing so well. And, you know, the academies kicking on so much in recent years. So now English football is something that is now very appealing abroad in other countries. And I think it's only beneficial to, to, to share it because if we've got, because it, it, it transcends football, it goes into teaching. Like, how do we want to speak to our children? How do we want to raise our people that are going out there in the communities? Ways of teaching, if you're allowing children to make their own decisions, if you are making them accountable, um, giving them freedom to express themselves. Like, there's so many things that transcend just football. Um, and yeah, we, we, we want to have a wide impact. Yeah, I mean, you know, inclusion for what you in, in terms of everything that you said, it sounds like you're inclusive. There's an aspect of, of, of being equal with one another, but also you want to promote the best side of an individual within the game so that they can go into the world and make a positive contribution, which is I think it's more than just we make footballers. I think it's it's you make we make footballers who are good human beings is probably the the byline that no one really sees, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry, no, no. I was going to say it's very, very people centric. And when you say that it also looks to to help people, um, you know, enter into the game at the at, at, at the best level for those who can, it's also for people to enter the game at the level that is the best for them. Right, because then that fosters them as people if they're if they're comfortable and they're playing at the level that fits them best. You know, it makes them better people. Um, but yeah, sorry, Sean, not on. No, no, no. I completely agree. And I was just going to add on that it's recognizing also that the we in the we make footballers because that we is kind of all of us. It's getting us all to recognize that we're responsible for the players that we're developing. And that can be the way the commentators speak on the media about the way that they talk about football. They might not even realise they're doing it. It's the way that teachers interact with their children, referees, people on the sideline, parents, the postman talking about football. Like we're all affecting our football culture and, mm. and our kind of teaching culture. And so it's like we make footballers. It's the environment that creates the footballer. So, so once we start identifying that, then we can make some really good change. Yeah, do you know what? You said something that you just made me think about some of the things I've seen in the media recently, in the comments about particular clubs who are having a difficult time and the fan base is, you know, they're being very vocal. What they're saying about the manager, what they're saying about certain players. And I think it's very easy to kind of like say something without any kind of thought as to what the ramifications will be once those words leave your mouth and where they go on social media. And it, again, I'm going trying to get back to what it is as we make footballers. It's not just about the footballers, as you say, it's not about, it's about those that go into the wider world of football, whether it is in the media, whether it is in coaching, whether it is in journalism, 
you're, you're talking to young people about not only about what's possible in terms of a career on the pitch, but careers off the pitch and what it means to be measured mm-hmm. to a better degree. Am I, I'm, I'm just, I don't know, put words in your mouth, but this is what I'm thinking is, is am I right? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there's, there's a lot of the people at the top level of, of our company and our head office, we're, we're, we're very driven for like social change mm. um, and, and, you know, and, and, and thinking about our local communities. And we, we love football. We're so passionate about football. But, but yeah, um, you know, our big, big goals are, are yeah, how, how, are we, how are we affecting our, our local communities through football? Um, yeah, yeah, you definitely recognise that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I wish you all the best because I think it, you know we make footballers. It's something that I, I was a child. Now I'd be like thinking, I want to be with you guys because when I was a kid and I'm older than you, I'm <laughs> um, to go to a club. You needed to know someone. As you said this is I'm, I'm talking decades ago, and it was just our local friends. You know, as it was, you know jumpers for goalposts that was it that's how we learned this there was no coaching we saw something on tv we copied it if we could watch tv because you know we might have been in bed or whatever at that time now the the opportunities for young people to go to to, to football in the local park you, what you guys are doing i think it's one great in terms of the development of, of footballers or young people who want to make football to be footballers too, the mental health aspects, the social aspects of learning how to be with other people is a really key factor considering the last two years of, you know, potential lockdown, not lockdown. Um, and I, I, I just think, just as I said, I didn't know anything about We Make Footballers. I think, wow, what an organisation to have and have so many franchises that you just think, this just seems almost too good to be true. It's so simple, but so wholesome. And you just think, wow, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, have, you, have you hit any resistance though, in terms of working with organizations, maybe schools, access? Have you had any resistance in terms of the, the growth that you've experienced so far? Um, in terms of... <laughs> What I can kind of talk about in terms of this point is uh, that there is there is a little bit of resistance within uh, within grassroots football times where because so much of the work is is voluntary, um, they're then you know when when we're then looking at um, you know a commercial organisation. Right, which there are more and more of in football, and they they have you know they that um, they are growing um, at a very fast speed, just just purely because you know recreational football as well is growing at very very fast speed. So then there's this demand, as you said, that you know there's so many opportunities. There's demand right for all these playing opportunities. So that there can at times be a slight, um, I suppose prejudice against uh, against coaches who might be charging for their time um, or you know sessions that are that are paid sessions um, and I think sometimes we do experience that slight um, 
you know, that we have that kind of mindset of somebody who, 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 who might come to us and say, oh, you know, it should be free. It's, it's football, it should be free. Um, but actually, you know, this is somebody's career, right? Um, you know, the, this someone's career, they've, they've worked on their skill set for years. They've done their own personal and self-development to be able to deliver coaching to, to, a, to a good level. So, you know, it's, it's about respecting that individual's career choice and valuing their time and valuing their contribution. Mm. You know, we have so much respect for all these people giving, you know, countless hours back into their community um, who are volunteers. We have so much respect for them. And that's why we still have those strong links to local grassroots, you know, clubs wherever we are. But we do also think that, you know, that, that this is an industry where, um, where, you know, that, people are putting so much time in and they should be rewarded for their time so that, that is probably the only slight resistance that that we may see see and i think just to kind of tie um tie that point together um you know at the end of the day when a franchise owner sets up in their local community they are you know that their goal is to is to try and set up um multiple session dates so they, they might have up to 400 students, you know, players, mm. their sessions, right? So that's 400 people that they're affecting, right? And that they're coaching and helping them on a, on, on a weekly basis. That is, uh, you know, a team of, of coaches that they're developing. Um, they're training those individuals. They're, you know, they're obviously uh, providing them, um, you know, uh, payment for their hours as well. So they're enabling them to pursue their career in coaching. They are also using local facilities. So they're using schools. So that so then there is funds going back into the schools, back into local people. So the coaches, and then that effect that's happening at the, you know, at the end chain of all these players who are then becoming better people. So actually, you know, that there there is a lot of there's a there's this huge chain reaction that happens. And, you know, and I think that when we kind of hear the sort of, it's like maybe uh, sometimes I call it old school mindset of saying, oh, I should all be free labor, you know, uh, voluntary. You know, when you actually stop and you look into the, the social and the economic impact that it has in a community, it's 100% worthwhile and the community benefits on so many levels. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it re it really does. Thank you for that. It's um, I, it's not a straightforward answer in terms of what you don't want to see, but you've hit it on the head from my point of view. There's a lot of things that are are done when you say voluntary. There is an element where it takes time, but obviously, if this person, whoever the coach is, has to have spent time developing their expertise to the level that they can actually be a competent coach. That actually fulfills and matches up with with the criteria that you guys have, have created for we make footballers, and it's really really important. Um, you know, Sean, I, I've got to ask, where, where are you situated? Because you, you look like you're sat in a really nice, really nice uh, <laughs> hotel foyer. And I, oh, what's going on there? Well, in in COVID, we we previously had a, had an office with all our team together. And since then, we've we've dispersed. We don't have an office anymore. So yeah, we all, all work 
individually isolated yeah. so yeah so this is this is over the road from where i live um so, so yeah hopefully it hasn't been too noisy today no it hasn't been noisy but i'm just looking at the visuals and thinking i want to be where you are it looks like a <laughs> looks like they're getting ready for lunch um <laughs> uh, i want to ask um because I'm, I'm i'm aware of the time and i know that you guys are really really busy um you have so many young people on, on, on your books in terms of we make footballers. In, t in relation to women's football, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what are the numbers uh, with regards to the young girls that you guys coach in relation to the boys? Is it, is it growing? Is it, is it on par? It's, it's not on par and, um, you know, uh, as it is in, 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 you know, in, in the wider game and in society in general, unfortunately. Um, but it is growing and that's kind of the positive, um, that, that's a positive side of it. Um, I think that, you know, we, we are seeing, you know, of, of this sort of 5,000 um, players coming to our weekly sessions, we would say about 10% um, would be um, female. Um, so, so it is getting there and we are developing, you know, uh, we have, you know, we have some really talented people in the organisation who are great marketeers and who are really trying to do everything they can to 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 you know to make uh, to make what we do uh, look more appealing to people of all backgrounds, more inclusive to people of all backgrounds, so that we're actually able to recruit um, more female players um, who you know whose parents might not naturally think, oh, let's sign up for football, and mm. that's a big challenge. Um, obviously, you know the um, the FA itself is doing so, so much work, you know, whether it's the Wildcats program, I think they have about 1,250 centres like across the UK. So they're doing so much work. And, you know, fundamentally, the more, um, the more uh, playing environments that are being created left, right and centre, the more everybody benefits. And I think that, you know, for us, uh, we do want as many um, female um, players um, attending our sessions, but, you know, our sort of wider goal is just to have, you know, as many girls playing football as boys playing football in the UK full stop, right? Um, we want to make our sessions as inclusive as possible. Um, and we really, really want to develop, um, develop female players as much as possible. But the, the kind of top level goal and, you know, for us is how can we contribute to, you know, to getting as many girls playing football as boys in the UK? And uh, one of the things that we've, um, one of the things within our control um, that we're acting on is we're really, really working on 50-50 um, uh, workforce where we have, um, you know, representation at that level that actually is very visual to communities and that, you know, is a very strong statement of what we're about. You know, we have a number of female managers across the franchises, um, and you know we are always, always developing, um, developing female coaches as a high, high priority. Um, we've also recently launched our own um, girls-only football program. So, although you know, although we our weekly sessions and you know camps and everything we do is is for everybody, for girls and boys, we do also respect that there is still a, necess a necessity to provide multiple options of different playing environments. Um, so yeah, so, so we've got the girls program and uh, which is coached by an entirely female coaching staff. Um, so yeah, so, so we're step by step 
I'm trying to do everything we can um, and that's sort of where we're at. Do you know what? I have to say, I'm I'm blown away by everything that I've heard. We make football a sound. It does sound like the kind of ideal group organisation that I wish was around when I was a child. I, I, I generally, because I know that there were so many young people when I played football that, that were, could play football but didn't go to a team because they didn't have access to it or they didn't get coaching or they, they you know, it was they were left left behind. And um, this, this it, it seems like very much that we make footballers has this. No one is left behind. We're, well, our doors are open. We will do our best to make things accessible for you and make your time with us pleasant and enjoyable and educational. And, and, and that's what I've taken from speaking to both of you today. And I think, Sean, you, you set this up and you must be feeling just, just super, super proud. Yeah, it's, it, it was nice when someone like yourself is able, just from a short conversation we've had, being able to articulate that. And that's what you've taken from our company because that's absolutely our attention. So, yeah, that, that, I, I do feel proud of that. Yeah, you should. You should. You should. You don't know how many times I actually curse the FA for not doing enough. And uh, um, you don't have to do it. I do it because, you know. <laughs> No, but I, I do, I would say now in the last, like, let's say seven years, the FA have got a lot better. There's been yeah. a big change at the FA at so many levels. And there's great people in there now. There's, there's been a change in culture at grassroots level and mm. that's down to so many factors even like things like Pep Guardiola coming in and Jurgen Klopp coming in at the top level grassroots managers are now looking to copy that style of football which fosters a lot more development than our old long ball football and uh, yeah like it's, it's good we're, we're as a country we're really on the right direction right now yeah that just because the pyramid was always pointed upwards doesn't mean that those at the top know everything. It, it doesn't. True. You know, I think it's about, you know, um, yeah, it's about leveraging the skill sets of people at every level in the pyramid as well and the impact they can have in the game or socially, right? And, um, yeah, and just valuing people, basically. Listen, you know what, what? What's what? A better way to end football valuing people. Uh, Eve, Sean, thank you very much for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Rodney. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And before you go, Sean, please again the podcast name of the podcast. Uh, where can we find it? The Project Footballer podcast on Spotify and YouTube. Brilliant. Thanks again. Right. This was On and Off the Pitch. I'm Rodney Cyrus. This was Eve and Sean. We make footballers and they are definitely doing their thing. They're making footballers. Check them out, please. Until then, laters.